Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us for another encouraging message in our three-week summer series, Neighbors and Nations. Each week brings a guest speaker shedding light on missions around the world and across the street. For more information, please visit blufffirst.com. Hebrews chapter 12, if you'd be willing to turn there, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. Now today, I'm going to be real honest. My sermon title is clickbait. Maybe you've been around Facebook or Twitter or things like that, and there's this thing called, you know, clickbait. Basically, it looks a lot grander than it really is. But the title, nonetheless, is to get your attention and does have a purpose. But the title to my sermon today is Running Naked. Running Naked. So, of course, today to, you know, Pastor TJ has already, you know, uh, he knows our heart that we would not actually convince you to try to run naked. Uh, That's probably a different church down the street. But uh, anyhow, and I don't know who's down the street, so I'm not meaning that to anybody. There's a lot of feedback coming back through me. I'm not sure if it's a monitor, but there it is. I think that, thank you, sir. It's kind of vibrating. I almost felt like I was like Senator Palpatine when he's addressing the the crowds and Star Wars. Anyhow, Sorry. I like Star Wars, and so does my oldest daughter. We were children's pastors. So I, just so you know a little bit about us, so if you're like, okay, that's why they're doing that dumb thing or that silly thing. M- my wife and I, she worked on the ambulance on the north side of Springfield. She was a paramedic. I was a deputy sheriff and a police officer for about 12 years. I spent a year in Afghanistan doing security contracting. We were at a, passion, a pow- powerful mission service, and we were called into ministry and missions. And so we both... Shortly after that left, went on staff at a church, and we were children's pastors. So when we say goofy things sometimes, or things that you're like, I can't believe you just said that, one, we get to leave, uh, so we don't have to come back like pastors got to, you never say dumb things, I know that for a fact. And so, yeah, that's so fun, I love that. I was like, after the first service, like, I didn't make any mention of that, I was just so excited, and then I, I couldn't, could not do it, but uh, Anyhow, if you don't know the story, then you don't have to know. So, uh, but if you hear us say something or do something a little bit silly, it's because we have a children's pastor's heart. We love kids. We love to do silly and goofy things. And uh, we believe that serving the, the, the Lord is a joyful thing. It is a fun thing. We are a little bit of uh, Jesus hippies. We kind of think that like legalism is for the birds. We, when we read through the Bible, we see what Jesus turned over tables was people trying to prevent people to come to Jesus, to come to faith, to come into God's house. And so we're all about the, let's like sit around and have a conversation. The gospel doesn't change, but how we act and do doesn't have to be stuffy. I love, love, love that some of your young adults are eating Taco Bell on the front row. Coolest church ever. Love it. I'm serious. I love it. And I love Taco Bell. I can't lie. All right, well, let's get serious for just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12, one through two. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, lie, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you be in this service today? Would you have your way? Would you have your will? Would you draw our hearts to your purpose and your kingdom, Lord God, and the neighbors and the nations from here in Popper Bluff to the most remote parts of this earth, Lord God, where there are people waiting on both sides. There are people waiting as our neighbors, and there's people waiting 
on the other side of the earth to hear about your good news. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage tells us two things that we're to run without and one thing that we're to run with. It says that we're to lay aside every hindrance. Well, now when you look at the original Greek of that, it's a noun. Hindrance, there's a noun. It's like a weight. It's a thing, okay? And so if you're new to church and you don't understand when I talk about the original word and I say Greek or something like that, the, the Bible was actually written the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek and Aramaic. So when we, when we want to see the, the scope or the fullness of God's word, we go back and we study a little bit of the original word. Now, we got a real big glimpse of that when we moved to Tajikistan, we began to learn Persian, because in Farsi is in Iran, Dari is in Afghanistan, and Tajik is in Tajikistan. They're all basically the same Persian language. And so we began to learn that. But there's some things that don't, that don't translate. They just don't have the fullness of it. <clears throat> and so when we go back to the original word, that's why we may say this word in English, but then we give a definition that has a little bit more depth to it, because that's the original meaning of it. I had some friends when I worked in Afghanistan. They were from South Africa, the big Afrikan man, these great old big guys. And they would get really frustrated sometimes, and they said that we don't have enough cuss words in English. So they would have to cuss in Afrikaans because it was more beautiful. There was a way they could express themselves fully. I think that language is like that. There is the original language is, is opens our eyes to what the depth of the meaning is. So hindrance is a noun. It's a weight. It's a thing that you would put on. It doesn't say that it's sin. It actually separates itself from sin because the next thing is now lay off every sin that so easily entangles us. So hindrances in our life aren't always sin. Now they of course can be, but actually here where it says the sin that so easily entangles us, the original wording here is actually a verb. And it gives this picture of like, if you've ever seen these vines that have grown up and just completely over time taken over a house like on the way to youth camp, where we just came from last week, I think your youth were there a week before that, there's this house that sat there since I was a kid going to kids' camp all the way up now, and this whole house has been vacant for years, and the, the, the vines come up all the way around this house, over the roof and around the side. It sits off to the right of the road as you're going into camp. It's completely surrounded and entangled by this. So the author of Hebrews here, he's actually... We don't know exactly who it is. It's debated, if you ever get into that kind of stuff, look at that. Some people say Paul, some say Apollos. We don't know exactly, but we do know, we do, we do know the time frame. We know kind of the lens that he was looking at. So we know that when he's telling us to lay off the hindrances, it's, it's the things in our life that slow down our run. He says, run the race without these things that slow you down. Maybe you've been in track, maybe you've been a part of that, and you know that when you run, you want the least amount of hindrances on you. And then there's things that physically will stop you, that will disqualify you from the race, and that's sin. That will disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Now his grace and his blood covers that all if we immediately run to him and we receive that. But then it says to run with something. So we run without weight. We run without the things that stop us and disqualify us. And then we run with endurance. And the original word here, when I was looking it up, because I got one of those Strong's Bibles that you can, on, my, on my, my iPad, that you can click on the word and it tells you the original Greek word or Hebrew word, if that is. And it gave this definition. It says it's an enduring, or it's an enduring of affliction or the act of suffering. So it says to run with endurance. Endurance, you probably know, means to, to endure, to keep going, to not give up. 
But the actual context here is saying the enduring of affliction, something difficult, something that's not okay. It's not cool. It's not fun. It's difficult. The act of suffering. And then the verses actually go on down to talk about how Jesus, who's our, our example in this, went through the suffering of the cross, but he didn't, he didn't give up. He didn't quit on us. So we're to run without weight, without sin stopping us, and we're to run with the ability to deal with things that are hard and difficult and hurt, things that make us suffer. So the lens that our author is looking through, judging by the time frame, we know that he would have looked at runners in two ways. One, like an Olympic-style runner, and then also a soldier who would have been trained specially to be a messenger. So when I was reading through one commentary about this passage of scripture, he actually said the, the view would probably be like this soldier, this messenger that was specially trained over long periods. Maybe there's something going on that is so important. There's a group of, of, of soldiers that are going to go into an ambush, or there's a group that's in a terrible battle and they need reinforcements, and they're calling for reinforcements. Now, Nowadays, we use different kinds of things. When I was embedded with the military in Afghanistan, they use embedders, these radios, and it's encrypted, and they even have these encrypted laptops that can deliver messages in the Humvees and different things. Now, MRAPs, they're great old big things, and, and so they have these ways of doing that. Back then, they didn't have that. You didn't have your signal to text or telegram or whatever you use or WhatsApp. They had to deliver a message in person, and they had to be efficient. So the runners would train with extra weight on them. They would run with weights, and maybe you've even seen those. You can see them at Walmart. Actually, I have one training for a hike that my wife and I did. We, you put on the, this, this vest, and you can take some weight out or put some in it, and it, it helps you build strength. But when it came time for the real race, or it came time to deliver this message, the runners or the soldiers would actually strip naked. And that's where the title of my sermon comes from today, Running Naked. This picture that we are to have of our faith, our walk in Jesus, is to be completely stripped of everything that would slow us down. There's things in our life that may not be sin, but they're slowing you down, and you need to get rid of them. There's things in your life that are sin, and we have to get rid of them, and I'm no different. None of us are free from that. We have to constantly process what is going on in our life, and how can we be more free for Jesus? This is the passage, or this is the picture that the author wanted us to understand. Kind of funny, isn't it? Thinking about this guy back in Bible times running naked. But that's literally what he's saying. To lay off weight, to lay off sin, and run with an ability to deal with suffering. I remember that one of the first days I was in Afghanistan, one of the other contractors that I worked with, he had a hat that said, embrace the suck. And I always remember, I was like, what does that even mean? And then you, you spend time in Afghanistan, you're like, oh, that's what it means. You learn to deal with things that stink, that are not fun. They're not, they're not that way. We watched this, this amazing race type, but it's not called the amazing race. The race, it's called the world's hardest race. They're in Fiji, and they, they, it's like this eco-challenge. They're running, biking, paddleboarding, like all these different things they have to do on some of the hardest train on the planet. And the, the winner and the guy that, like, his team always wins everything from New Zealand, Nathan Farabi, he says, you have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable 
for long periods of time. And that's how they've won so many of these races over and over. But what does that have to do with us today? Maybe honestly you're like, I, I've given my life to the Lord and now I'm, I'm just going to keep on going with my life when we've forgotten that, or forgotten that our life isn't our own anymore. Maybe you've had the, the mentality, and, I, and I've, I've, I've been here, I've done that, I'm not somebody that's better than you. I'm just in a process like all of, all of you. I'm not anything special. But maybe there's a philosophy you've got in your Christian life, and that maybe you've heard of the, uh, the outrun the bear philosophy. You know, people will say, you don't have to be able to outrun a bear, just don't be the last guy. You know, and maybe that's the way you walk in your faith is like, you know what, I, I'm never going to be like Pastor TJ or Pastor Max. I'm never going to be like the guy I see on TV or my grandfather, grandmother, someone that you really look up to. You're like, I'll never be that guy or that person, but as long as I make it, I'll be okay. And I get that. I can feel all the sentiment of that. Like, I can understand what that means. Like, sometimes I feel like, you know, that, oh, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, right? You've heard that song? I'm thinking one second at a time sometimes. I just think, like, God, help me through this very moment. So I get it. But at the same time, it's not a biblical pattern to just barely make it into heaven. The author here tells us to get rid of everything that slows you down every hindrance, every sin, and then run in a way that you are willing to deal with difficulties. We're not just going to be faster than the last guy. Although we did meet that guy on our trip to, we, we did a, just so you know, we did a, a 108 mile hike on the Appalachian Trail. We, there, the Appalachian Trail is like 2,200 miles and it's broken into sections. And so we did a section of it. We did 108 miles in 10 days. My wife and I is a fundraiser. <clears throat> we had to be real creative. Church, not all churches are having missionaries in, and that's the primary way the Assemblies of God works for missionaries is that we go out, raise our funds, and then when we are partner supported and funded, we go overseas and we spend three or four years over there doing what we've told you all, doing the best that we can with God empowering us to work in that context. But with COVID, it's different. And so Tara, my wife, came out of our, her prayer time one morning, and she's like, I believe that God's given me an idea to do a, a hike-a-thon. Maybe you remember when you were a kid and you did the bike-a-thon or the walk-a-thon, and you knocked on everybody's doors and asked them to give a dime, you know, a mile or a lap or something like that. Well, we did that, except we went to the Appalachian Trail, because part of our new journey in Papua New Guinea, our area directors told us, you're going to drive to the end of the road, put on a backpack, and hike the rest of the way in to plant the church in the bush of Papua New Guinea because there's not many roads. People go by helicopter, bush plane, or hike that get to these places. And so we wanted that connection. So when I refer to those things sometimes, it's, it's from that trip that we went on. And we met Phil. It has nothing to do with the sermon. If you're like on bated breath, this is not spiritual at all. This is just a funny story. We're out there on the last night of, our, of our, our, our hike and a bear comes across and it's the part where they're like, bear signs are everywhere, don't do this. Like you even go way out away from your, your tent where you're gonna camp at that night and you fix your food way over there and then you come back over here because you don't want the food smell around your, your tent and everything so the bear comes in and here comes the bear down and you know, you do the, hey bear, you're trying to get their attention and they just kind of mosey off and so I did that and he kind of diverted his path from coming down amongst us and then we, there was a gentleman named We'll say his name was Phil, but that's, that's a name that's hidden. That's his name. And so he was like, I'm going to go see this bear. And he charges up the hill at this bear, and he comes back. He lived. 
right? And I don't know how, but he did. And he told us, ah, oh, that bear's more concerned about the berries and he's more scared of me than he's not. And I, I don't know. I've never met a lot of bears. I've not had them tell me that. But I was scared for Phil. Now, so that's the funny story. Phil is the guy that will always be there behind us. Phil is willing to go out and pay that cost for us to be able to outrun the bear. And now that's over with. I got that out of my system. It has nothing to do with anything today. Sorry, Pastor TJ. I'm locked back on now. Let's find out what all of this running naked has to do with us today. Is it just really a life for us just to barely make it? Or does God have something different for us? Does God have a plan for us? Does he want us to do something? Why are we in neighbors and nations? If you turn to Mark chapter 2, I'll read there quickly. It's about 12 verses. I'll read them quickly. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And I think we're going to find the answer to what, why it's important that we have our hands available, no weight on us, and free of sin, and have the ability to endure difficulties. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, it says this, when he, Jesus, entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was home. Jesus was a big deal, doing a lot of crazy things. People were coming to wherever he was. So the word got out that he's back in this kind of this home area that he was uh, kind of in the north area where he was um, at, it says that he was home. So many people gathered together, so there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. So here's the picture. They're in the small house. Jesus is teaching, and it's crowded, packed wall to wall. It says, they came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him, this paralytic person, to Jesus because of the crowd, They removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their heart, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Small house, crowded people. One little divergent point here is the, the Pharisees are sitting. You ever been in a place where it's so crowded you can't get around? And then there's, it's normally standing like wall to wall. And they're sitting. You see in the picture that we showed you of our, our English club, if you look at the picture and all the way at the back, all the way back where the gentleman in the white shirt is sitting, that is actually the person that would have the most honor in theory. Now all these guys would fight over not going there until someone finally had to get there. They didn't want to go there. And uh, it's probably as Najib there on the right of him in the dark shirt. And, and, and like he, he was the cut up, but he never wanted to sit there. Like none of these guys wanted to sit there. It's a place of honor. So you're, you have this picture of all these people crowded in and religious people are just sitting there feeling important about themselves. But there was a group of people that were willing to do whatever it took to get those who could not help themselves to Jesus. So something that we as a church must always realize, 
how important it is for people to come meet Jesus. And it has to be our priority. It has to be the heartbeat of our church to look for those who can't do it or are not able to do it on their own, physically, spiritually, emotionally, or because even a location. So the house is this, they're crowded, and then these guys, when I was reading the commentary, describing the type of houses it would have been, there would have been a stone kind of uh, staircase possibly on the back of the house because their roofs back then would have been, had some cross timbers, some like brace type bigger boards, and then they would lay smaller sticks and limbs and palm leaves across that to fill it in, and then they would put dirt on top of all of that, and they'd pack down the dirt. So this was a thing they would have to constantly tend to the roof to go up and pack it down at least once a year. So they'd have a stairway to it. Sometimes a ladder, they said, but a lot of times it was a stairway. And so they would have this stairway to get up there. So these people were familiar with different access points to this house. They're not conventional ones, but they knew if they could just get him to the roof and down in that he could meet Jesus. I love people that think out of the box to get people to Jesus. Fish fry, fried donuts. Get people to Jesus. Whatever it takes. I love it. So they went up and they dug out the roof. Now, the mat this guy would have been laying on, they said it would have been kind of a bag sewn together with straw in it. It's a poor man's mattress. And I don't know if you've ever moved anything like that, but it had been hard to, there wouldn't have been any structure to it. It had been hard to move a person. And I remember once when I was on the special response team, when I was part of the, the, the sheriff's department SRT team or SWAT team, we would have to do drills of caring if someone was injured. And we'd have this, the medic would have this folded up kind of canvas, like stretcher basically, but it was, we called it a litter. And then you could find some poles out, like cut a little sapling tree down or something like that. And you'd run these poles down and you would practice carrying somebody if they were injured to get them out. And it was actually one of the hardest things to do. Bodies are dead weight. If the person can't move, it's actually incredibly hard to move them. So now you have this thing without structure, without the poles on it. They're trying to carry this guy with a straw mat upstairs, dig through the roof, move all of the dirt out of the way, move all of the debris out of the way to make a human-sized hole to lower this guy down. That would have been hard. It would have been physically difficult. And it was physically going to make them look stupid. They're going to like really, I, I would say, you know, you ever done something with some of your friends and they kind of get into it and like, wow, I wish we had done this. You want to start backing up? These guys didn't do that though. They stayed with it the whole time, even though they were going to look silly. And then even though it was going to cost them physically. You see, in this culture, if you damage something like that, especially somebody's house, you're going to have to fix it. And they would have known that. They would have known when they dig the hole, they're going to come back out of their own money and fix that roof for that man. It cost them something financially. It was physically hard, and it was embarrassing. They would have probably been the laugh of the town. And then can you almost, you can almost see the picture of when they're digging through. I think God's got such a sense of humor. You got all the Pharisees sitting underneath. They're probably in a spot of honor, and these guys start digging through, and all this dirt would have start falling on the Pharisees. Can you imagine? And they're like, just like, what in the world's going on? And like, I don't know. I think God's like, ha, you know? 
have a little dirt, you know? I don't know, that's not biblical. I don't have a, I don't have a support for that, so I can't make a case for that, but I think some of those things sometimes, because that would have physically been not happened. There would have been stuff moved. But these guys were willing to do it. These four were willing to do that. Because they knew how important it was to get people to Jesus. Everything this church does that I've seen and been a part of, you guys know how important it is to get people to Jesus. We've got to hear some of your testimonies of all the things that you've been through in life, the hard things, the difficult things. And you're here doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Now, you may be saying, okay, we want to get people to Jesus, but what, what, what do we do? What is it? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Maybe you've heard it before. It's called the Great Commission. A lot of you've probably heard it. I'm going to read it just in case you haven't. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it says when he came to them, he's talking to his disciples. He had actually led them up on top of the mountain. He's about to ascend back into heaven, and he's telling them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, maybe you, like me, you know you hear something preached and you can immediately compartmentalize and say, well, that's for that, that type of person. That's for the leaders of the church and that's for the missionaries, but that's not for me. Okay, 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 20. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 20 says, therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Amen. Hallelujah, we're new, right? Everything old has passed away. Now, here comes our responsibility. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I love how perfect the song was, that second song that they gave us today. It talks about that ministry of reconciliation, that God reconciled us to himself. He didn't have to. He didn't need to. He chose to. And it goes on to say, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He's given it to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear how many times it's said that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation? We are enemies of God until we are covered under his blood. Maybe you've heard someone pray and they're pleading the blood of Jesus over them. When we do that, we're wanting covering from the enemy forces that would want to condemn us, but we're also when we do that, we're holding on to God's grace and we're actually protecting ourselves from the wrath of God. The propitiation of our, he paid everything for us. He was the sacrifice for us. And because of what he has done for us, we are now reconciled to God. And then the scripture here, Paul wrote, the letters to First and Second Corinthians, he wrote them to the Corinthians. He's telling us 
We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you are a new creation in Christ, which we are, if we've asked the Lord to forgive us of our sins, we're walking in that forgiveness now. We now have the ministry to call others to that. And in fact, it even gives us the, the, the picture of pleading. We are to plead with people. Please, you don't know what's ahead of you. If you keep going this path without God, you will enter, enter eternal separation from him. Go to hell. And you don't have to. So we plead with people, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Come to Jesus. There are places in the world that don't have access to Jesus and the gospel. There's places in Popper Bluff that they currently maybe don't have a relationship with a Christian. Most people that come to faith do it through a relationship. They're invited to church. They come through like that. They may not have a relationship with a Christian. Most Muslims and, and Buddhists have never known a Christian to know the true gospel. And then there's places that literally no one has ever been to take them the gospel. You can Google it and look up these uncontacted tribes. There's one on the outside of India they say there's places in Papua New Guinea that people haven't been. One of the most unexplored countries in the world with little infrastructure and roads to where somebody has to go and literally hike in, fly in, boat in, canoe down the river, So you want to know why we need to run naked? Because there's people on mats waiting for us. There is people that are spiritually paralyzed. They don't know what is going on in the world. They don't have access to the gospel. Your neighbors and the nations are waiting. And it's not a leadership thing. It's everyone that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you are reconciled to Christ, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You're also, you are to call people to Jesus. You are to plead with them. You're not to condemn them. You're not to guilt them. You're to plead with them. Come home. Come to Jesus. If we are running with weights on us. Our hands are full and we can't pick up our part of the mat. Some people we have to go to and bring them to Jesus and it may require a lot of hard times. It may require us to physically carry people up a back stairwell, to dig into a roof, to look completely ridiculous and then to lower them before the feet of Jesus. And it will cost us. It's cost us financially. It's cost us physically. We've been humiliated. We've been, which I shouldn't say humiliated. I'm not embarrassed by what God's doing in our life. We've had people try to shame us or say, you shouldn't take your girls there. What if they're not called? And that's why we're so big on, we're a team. God didn't like, oops, they got kids. I called the parents. What are we going to do? No, God knows we are a team. We are called together. We are all called. 
say, man, I don't have a lot going on in my life. I, I feel like I'm running pretty free, and I pray that you are. But something that we learned when we did this hike, we learned from other ultralight hikers. <clears throat> and one of the things we learned is that everything weighs something. When you're putting together your backpacking kit, you have a little air pad. There's a little sack that goes on it. They throw those away. Maybe a Velcro strap around it to hold it together. You throw those away. You don't carry those things because everything weighs something. And even though you just hold it up, it, like, it doesn't even measure on the scale. When you put it on the scale, it doesn't weigh anything that it can even register it but it actually does. And then you start putting this together with that and this part of that. And then one extra pair of underwear, one maybe one extra pair of socks. No, we had like two pair of underwear, one pair of socks, one down jacket, one rain jacket, a sleeping pad, a sleeping bag, and the food. That's like literally all we had. And when you start going up those hills, everything weighs something. In our life, everything weigh something. What are we doing in our life? You say, but it's not sin. You may be right, but you're not running at the capacity God wants you to run at. God wants you free. Do you remember the song, I'm free to run? I love that song. When you're running free of your sin and you don't have all the weights of this world, all the entanglements, say, God wants you to run and you can hold other people because your hands are not full of this world. Your hands are not full of hindrances. And I'm just going to go ahead and step out. There's something that can weigh us down. And I, I didn't even say this in the first service, but I feel like there's something that I, I want to make sure our past is also something that will try to weigh us down. We'll try to get condemned by what we've done wrong. And I want to tell you about the story of Jabez. Maybe you've heard the prayer of Jabez. And he asked that the Lord would bless him. His name was Jabez. His mom says that she named him that in the Bible in 2 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. It says that she named him Jabez, which was, it was this like uh, synonym of pain in Hebrew. So when she named him Jabez, she was actually naming him pain. Pain to his mom. And, and, and when you first read the scripture, it actually talks about how it says he was more honored than his brothers, but the original Hebrew word actually means weighty. So it could be like there's a positive, like he was more, he held more weight, he had more clout, he was more honored than his brothers. But there's another way the commentary says it could actually mean that he was physically heavier than his other brothers. And his mom says she birthed him in pain and she named him after the pain. It could be that he was a big baby and his mom says, you hurt me, and now you're going to wear that label the rest of your life. So when Jabez is not just calling out for blessings in his life, he's asking to be free of what he's been labeled by his own mom. God wants you to know that the weight in your life may be something in your past that you've done or a stigma that someone's put on you. Or maybe you earned it. Maybe you earned every bit of it, but God has forgiven you, and now he wants you to be free of it. He wants you to run Naked, without the weight of being the loser, the mess up, the one that always gets it wrong, the one that did this or did that. You fill in the blank. God wants you to run free. It could be belongings. You need to get rid of stuff. It could be a name that you don't deserve anymore because you've got a new name written down in glory. But whatever it is, you need to run as efficiently. It is imperative that you run as efficiently as you can, free of sin, free of weight, because there's one day we're going to see Jesus. And you're going to, I guarantee, you're going to want to have done everything that you could have done. You're going to want to let go of everything 
when you see him face to face. I'm going to wish that I would have done more. The times that I've messed up, the times that I went back and forth, the time that I was religious hearted, I'm going to feel that. And I'm going to want to have done more. Because he's going to be worth that. And we get to see him one day, and it's going to be like, wow. I wish I would have done so much more for you because you're incredible. And there's so many people that want to know you, but I, I didn't give this thing or that thing up. And so I didn't go and do that that one time because I was embarrassed. I say, let's toughen up as a church. I say, let's be willing to be embarrassed for the gospel. And I say, let's dig some holes and get people to Jesus. And Popper Bluff, where you guys go to plant your church, and to Papua New Guinea, one of those least explored places where we've been told they're this close to the Stone Age. Let's get dirty. Let's not worry about what people say about us. Because the people are worth it. And oh man, is God worth it? He's so worth it. And you get to bring him. I don't plan to collect seashells in my retirement. I'm going to be dragging a mat with my wife, God willing even if nobody else goes with it. But we won't be alone because we know Bluff First goes with us. You guys support us. And we'll all have a corner. You see, the thing about this is, sorry, I'm going a little bit longer today. I'm wrapping it up. We're coming in for a landing. We don't know, but when you study this, there's a good chance only one person was connected to that person. On the para- that was paralyzed on the mat. The other three were people that were recruited, recruited. One person went to bat for the others and said, please, this is my cousin, this is my dad, this is my uncle, this is the guy that I've walked by every day and I've not known what to do, but today Jesus is in town, so will you help me get him and we'll do whatever it takes to get him there. And he had some good friends or family and they said, yeah, we'll do it. Because they're real. The people are waiting. They're real. They're not statistics. They're beautiful and precious souls, and they won't be one if we focus on ourselves. They'll be one if we're willing to give up and go. They'll only be one if we lay down our lives and endure hardships just as Jesus did. He endured the shame, humiliation, and death on the cross. He knew the cost, and he said, we're worth it. So two questions. Will you run naked and unhindered so you can carry a mat for those without access to Jesus. And neighbors and nations could not be more fitting here and to the ends of the earth. I believe some of you are to stay here and some of you are to go. Other churches that need revitalization, there's churches that are dying that need pastors, leaders to go to. I believe that a healthy church is sending people out and Pastor TJ is gonna hurt when you leave, but he's gonna bless you as you go to go do what God wants you to do because he wants to see the church grow. And I believe there's more people called to overseas missions than are going. We wouldn't have billions of people 
that are literally unreached, not lost people, unreached with the gospel if we were all going. I believe that. So will you run naked and unhindered so you can carry a mat of those without access to Jesus? Two, will you be like the first guy that raised the three friends to go with him? Will you advocate to those around you to carry the mat of those without access, whatever the difficulties, whatever the cost? One of the most hurtful things that we're told as we itinerate, I'm glad it's you. I could never do that. Isn't he worth it? We hear it all the time. I'm so glad you're called and I'm not. Jesus feel when you say that you're worth me serving you in pauper bluff but you're not worth me going to some crazy place or even a safe place will you advocate for those will you raise people up around you that will go whatever the cost whatever the difficulties run without weight Run without sin. Run with endurance, willing to take the hurts, and then bring others with you to get a mat. I see so much potential as I look around the room. Pastor TJ, you have a bright church. We tell Esther Rose, Tara Start Connor, she's bright like the stars. I said, Esther Rose, it's our youngest, you're bright like the stars. Harper Bluff is bright like the stars. I look around and I see so much God going around Popper Bluff into the ends of the earth. Thank you so much for allowing us to be with you today. We love you. And Pastor Max, say it again in this one. We leave the church to grow the church. It hurts. Oh, it hurts when we leave. We left the most fruitful ministry at Avis on the God where we were children's pastors. It hurts. But it's worth it. And you empowering people to go and blessing them as they go and you as a church being willing to let them go even though you want to hold them tight. We leave the church to grow the church. We're honored to be with you guys today. We're honored to be your friends. We're honored to be supported by your church. And you allowed us to be here on this day. Team Anders loves you guys. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.